We have been going through Proverbs. This is our 14th week in the book of Proverbs. And what we're doing now in Proverbs is we are going through some of the wise sayings. We've went through the first nine chapters. And we are now going through to wrap up this series, Collections of the Wise Sayings from chapters 10 through 31. If you are a podcast listener, we have a podcast that we do each week where we've been talking about each one of these chapters. Today we are picking up on the theme of trusting God. And the primary proverb that I want to start with today is Proverbs 19, verse 21. This says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. From the time that we are old enough to process our own life, we start making plans. We plan our day, we plan our week, we plan our future. Some of our plans are successful. They work out just the way we hoped. Some of our plans are not successful. We try and we fail. Sometimes our plans change. We abandon one plan in favor of another plan. But we're always making plans. And Proverbs does not tell us that we shouldn't do that. As a matter of fact, Proverbs, we're going to see in a moment, tells us that planning is one of the responsibilities that God has given to mankind. But there is a specific way that we are supposed to think and feel. There's a particular mindset and a framework of our heart that we are supposed to have when we're making our plans. And that is that we are called to realize that the plans of man do not determine the course of time. And when it comes to your life, the plans that you make and work are not the determining factor of how your life will turn out. There is something much higher that is going on in your life than that. If you're a note taker in the worship guide, let's start with this life truth today. Wise people place their intentions or their plans before God, trusting that only His plans are certain and good. Wise people know to take all of their planning and to place it before God because they know that at the end of the day, only God's plans are the ones that we can bank on. And only God's plans are truly the ones that are good. There is a theological principle that says that God is continually active in His creation that He is involved in His creation, that He didn't just start everything and turn the world and then back away, but God is actively maintaining what He created. And not only is He maintaining it, but He is governing it so that it arrives to fulfill His purpose. And that theological principle is called God's providence or His sovereignty. And, And honestly, a lot of people stumble over that. They stumble over it because it can be very difficult to understand how God can have providence in governing everything and yet man still be responsible. For some people, in order to embrace God's providence, they think that means that they have to assume that there's no consequences to our choices. But the book of Proverbs has absolutely no reservation about holding both of those things up for us. Proverbs says that you and I should carefully consider how we live. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 25. Because the choices we make have consequences. The plans we make matter. And Proverbs tells us that. But simultaneously, Proverbs reminds us that God has declared the end from the beginning. 
And God's plans are the only ones that are fixed for all of time. It takes faith to believe that God works His providence and the responsibility of man together without losing either of them. But He does. And that's what Proverbs shows us. Proverbs 16 verse 9 brings these things together when it says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You and I are responsible for planning our life. That is what God has given us to do. And our heart is always filled with intentions. And wise people weigh the intentions of their hearts because they're going to act on those intentions. And so we're always trying to figure out if our intentions are in line with God's Word. But a wise person also knows that there is a good and wise King of all creation. And He is governing their life. And they learn to trust that no matter what happens, God's purpose for their life will ultimately win the day. Even if it's not what they originally planned. So I want us to take some time this morning, and I want us to look in Proverbs for practical wisdom on making plans. Keeping all of this in mind that we're responsible for planning and that God exercises His providence that His purposes might be fulfilled. What does Proverbs show us about making plans? And to do this, we're going to look at Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 3. Although I will say again, this is throughout the book of Proverbs. But we're going to look at three verses from Proverbs 16. In your notes, let's start with this one. Begin with the end in mind. Step one in making plans. Begin with the end in mind. Verse 1 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So here our heart realizes we need to act. Apathy is not rewarded. God wants diligent workers. Success in life is a good thing. Every one of us, whatever God has given us to do, we should want to be good at it. We should want to be successful at it. We should want to be as excellent as we can in whatever God has given us to do in any season of our life. God has made us responsible to investigate how He's wired us. Our personality, our talents, our gifts, our likes, our dislikes... Because all of those things, including the desires that He puts in our heart, all of those things point us at what God wants us to accomplish. I told a story last week about how someone in this church had helped me in my moment of need and helped my mom greatly in a desperate situation that I didn't know what to do about. And someone after the service pointed out to me that what that person used to accomplish that was a talent God had given them. I think that individual has a gift of service where they want to serve others, but God has also given them a specific talent. In this case, it was a talent to know how to work as an electrician and wire things appropriately. And God brought their gift of service and their talent together to serve Him and others. So we plan our lives thinking about those things. God's given us His Word so that we can see what He says to be good and we can make sure that our plans line up with that. We don't want to plan things that God says is not right. So the plans of the heart belong to man. But keep this mindset. The answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So what Proverbs says is that it is wise for you to remember, God, I know that in all my planning, the final answer is yours. It's not about how well I plan. It's not about how I execute this. Ultimately, it is about what answer you're going to give me. James 
in the New Testament, James, who writes a lot about wisdom and refers a lot to Proverbs, James in chapter 4 of his letter to the church says that it is actually arrogance to make plans without considering the providence of God. James says that we should not just say, okay, this is what I'm going to do, and then I'm going to go here and do that, and then next year I'm going to do this. James says our mindset should be, if the Lord wills, I will do this, and I will do that. So start there. Start with the end in mind. God, I'm making my plans, but God, I know that you alone are sovereign, and I trust you to determine the course of my life, even as I make my plans. Secondly, as we make plans, work out your plans relying on God entirely. As you work out your plans, rely on God entirely. So look at verses 2 and 3. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord. I'm going to pause there for a moment. So what Proverbs says is we're the ones that are going to work. We've made our plans and now we're going to work. We're going to be diligent and we're going to put an effort into our plans. But we are supposed to work in a very specific way by committing what we do to God. Literally, in the Hebrew, it means to roll over the cares of your work to God. To give the burden of your work to Him. So what does that look like practically? What does it look like to commit your work as you try to make your plans happen? What does it look like to commit that to God? I'm going to give you three Three quick things that I think at least get us going in the right direction. As always, I don't think this is an all-exhaustive list of how you commit your work to the Lord, but I think it's three key components. Number one, pray continually. Pray continually as you work your plans out. I know that sounds simple, but sometimes we make our plans, we might pray about our plans, and then we just go do them, and we don't always keep going back to prayer. We have made rely a characteristic of what we say this church is about. That we want to rely on God for everything. That's why we pray when the microphones don't work. But I've said many times that we can't say we're a people that rely if we're not a people that pray. Because we display our relying in our praying. Back in James 4 that I mentioned to you a moment ago, James actually tells the church that some of them have desires that have not yet been fulfilled because they haven't asked God for them. They're trying to accomplish their plans in their own power. They're battling and they're fighting and they're trying to get what they want. And James says, you have forgotten to simply ask God. And that's why some of you don't have what you want because you're not praying about it. So we commit our plans to the Lord and our work to Him by praying continually. Secondly, we submit. As we are working out our plans, we submit to God. One word, very simple, but means so much and is so very hard to do. To rely on God means you submit to Him as you work out your plans. You submit to His way of doing things. Every one of us at some point when we're trying to work our plans out, we will come to a place where we have the opportunity to take an unethical shortcut. To accomplish our plans by doing something that God opposes. It will get us to our goal quicker. But the person who is submitting to God submits to His ways, even if it means a longer process to get to their goal. We submit to God by inviting in wise counsel. Proverbs tells us to do that. Invite other people into your life and submit your plans to them, and that is one way that God helps you accomplish your plans. You invite in counsel and you ask people for help and you listen to what they say. And the assumption is you're inviting in godly, wise counsel. You submit to God by submitting to His timing. If you don't know this, you're probably very young. But your plans 
will most likely not happen in the time you want them to happen. And when God delays your plans, you submit to Him in that. You be very careful to not lag behind Him, but you also be very careful to not get ahead of Him. You submit to God by changing your direction if He gives you an entirely new plan. It is the honor of my life to pastor my home church. This was not my plan. I never thought I would pastor this church. We had plans to plant a church in Oregon, in Utah. You remember that? We had plans to pastor a church in California, in Arkansas. And every single one of those plans, God said no. To bring us to this point, I look back now and I'm so thankful for that. But at the time, it was hard. We submit to God by praising Him and worshiping Him and rejoicing in Him even when He says no to what we had planned. Because we trust He has something better. And then thirdly, we commit our work to the Lord by repenting as we see our sin revealed. It is very significant that God places verse 2 to bridge verse 1 and 3. In verse 1, He says, the plans of the heart belong to man. In verse 3, He says, commit your work to the Lord. What does He say in verse 2? All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. But the Lord is always weighing the Spirit. You see, I think God uses our act of making plans and working them out to mold and shape our character. I think that's often why God brings a delay in our plans. Because there's something He wants to do in us. He is far more concerned about the effectiveness of our character than the time in which we accomplish what we're wanting to accomplish. If you're really paying attention as you're working your plans out, God is going to reveal to you things about your heart that need to change. He's going to show you sometimes that the motives and desires that you have for your plans are not good. The plan might be good, but the desire and the motive for your plan might not be. James, again, in chapter 4, tells the church... Some of your plans aren't coming together even when you pray. Even when you ask God for your desires, some of them are not happening because you want them for the wrong reasons. You're praying about these things because you have worldly passions in you, and God knows that. It doesn't mean that God's going to tell you no forever. But it does mean that if God gives you what you have asked for at the wrong time when your heart is still not where it needs to be, then in getting what you want, you might be ruined. God knows how to give us our plans in the time we need them when we're ready for them. So when we see wrong motives, we should turn from them. And repent. So we start making plans. Beginning with the end in mind. We work out our plans. Relying on God entirely. Submitting to Him. Praying continually. Repenting. And then the third step in making plans is this. Keep hope. Because you will have success. Don't lose your hope. What's the point of planning? It's to reach a goal. You have a goal, whatever it is. You might be planning your day. You might be planning your week. You might be planning your life or the next five years. You plan to get to a goal. And the promise in verse 3, the second half of it, is if you will commit your work to the Lord, your plans and your working, if you will commit those things to Him, your plans will be established. They will be fixed. They will happen. They might not be the plans you originally had, 
But as you submit to Him and He changes and molds you, He will bring your plans, the plans that He has, the purposes for you, He will bring those things to pass. That's passive language Solomon uses. In verse 3b, it is not you who establishes your plans. You're the one committing your work to God. And if you do that, your plans will be established by someone else. Who is the someone else? God Himself. I didn't do a very good job this morning of communicating the beginning of our service, so we didn't get the opening passage read publicly. But in Psalm 138, which is in the worship guide, verses 7 and 8 says this, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. See, I think sometimes walking in the midst of trouble is walking in the midst of hopelessness. You've been planning something for a long time. You've been hoping for something for a long time and it's not coming together. And that is very discouraging and you're losing hope. You're walking in the midst of trouble. And here's what the psalmist says in the midst of that. I know that my God loves me. I know He will deliver me. I know He will fulfill His purpose for me. He doesn't say, I know He will fulfill all the plans I have. But I know He will fulfill whatever purpose He has given me to do. And the thing that every Christian has to battle at some point in their life is do you want all your plans or do you want your purpose? Do you want what you have planned for your life or do you want what God has purposed for you the good works He prepared for you before you were even born, Ephesians says. Even when it seems hopeless, because I think many times the desires that are in our heart as we commit our plans to the Lord, those desires will be your joy. Those desires, when they come to fruition, you will rejoice in them. When you commit your plans to God in the manner we just talked about, there is nothing in the heavens and nothing on the earth that can keep you from what God has purposed for you. There is nothing that you have done and there is nothing that anyone has ever done to you that can keep you from what God has purposed for you. I'm not trying to be one of those TV preachers. Alright? Because it's that says it's all about you and it's all about your purpose. No, it's all about Jesus. Your purpose, whatever it is, has two goals in mind. The purpose God has for you, two goals. One, to glorify Him and to benefit other people. It is not to make much of you. It is not to lift you up so that your name is great. It is not to give you a sense of pride. It is to give you a sense of dependence on Jesus. It is to put you in a place where you can look to Christ and say, it is all about Him. But every single one of you are gifted and talented in a way in Christ that God wants to make that happen in you. There is a unique way God has designed you to glorify Him. There is a unique way that God has purposed for you to serve other people. And God says, I'll bring that to pass if you will commit your work to me. Galatians 6 9 tells the church, Do not grow weary in doing good, for at the right time you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. If you will keep going, you will reap a harvest.
One of the ways that I personally see God working, bringing together my plans and His providence is when it comes to preaching. No matter what some preachers want to be or what other people may want them to be, pastors are not cultural commentators. They have one charge from God. Preach the Bible. Shepherd His people that He has placed among them by ministering to them the Word of God. I haven't had an opportunity yet to mentor specifically a young person who feels called to be a preacher. If God ever gives me that chance, one of the things that I will tell that young man is you will always feel the pressure when things are going on in the world and the culture to adapt your sermon to talk about those things. And I will tell them, avoid that pressure at all costs. But what I will also tell them is what I have seen in my own experience. What God has trained me to see, and that is that if a pastor will look to God, even as they are planning their preaching, right? Anything in this book is good. Every bit of it is suitable for training the people of God. You can get up here on any Sunday, turn to a text and preach, and it'll be good. Not saying the sermon will be good, but I'm saying the text will be good for you. But I think when a preacher places before God their preaching and says, God, I'm going to do this series and we're going to preach in this book, or, or God, this is, you know, what book should I preach in? And God, we're going to go through this for many, many weeks and I don't know what all my people need. I don't know what they're going to need weeks and weeks and weeks from now. But God, you do. And when you lay that before Him, my experience tells me that God is sovereign to put each church where He wants them to be in His Word at just the right time. So this past week, the news broke about the Supreme Court's ruling on abortion. And with that has come an outpouring of strong emotion from Christians and from non-Christians alike. And there are a variety of takes on that subject, even from within the church. But I'll tell you what I saw. I saw the providence of God for us. Because we have been reading through all of the wise sayings, two chapters every week, for those of you who have chosen to engage in that. And last week we were assigned chapters 24 and 25 because they were the next chapters in the list. We've been going through Proverbs 14 weeks. We've been reading the wise sayings since chapter 10. I hope you read chapter 24. But I felt led this morning not to turn to what's happening in the culture and preach about it. Because before Friday, I was already feeling led to preach on the sovereignty of God over our plans. But I want to walk through some of Proverbs 24 with you. And I want to talk about some of Proverbs 24. And I hope that whether you agree with some of the things I point out or not, that you will see the providence of God and the care for His church in the midst of this. And I hope you will listen. Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4, says that by wisdom a house is built. By understanding it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. No matter what you want to build, 
If you want to build a life, if you want to build a family, if you want to build a career, if you want to build a nation, only the wisdom of God can build something up to the place where it reaches and receives blessings. Only God's wisdom can do that. Wisdom is tied to the righteousness of God. Wisdom is always about what God says is right. So when you're building your life, or you're building your family, or you're building your career, or you're trying to build a community or a country, wisdom is to establish it on what God says is right. For the Christian, no matter what issue we're trying to figure out in our life, or if it comes to the one that the Supreme Court ruled on Friday, there is one question that every Christian must deal with and address when they're trying to discern what take they should have on what happened. And that is, what pleases God? What does God approve of? At the end of the day, that is all that matters. Sometimes what God approves of, what God approves of will align with how we feel. Sometimes it won't. It is incumbent upon us to build our lives on what God has said is right. On what God is pleased by. That is the Christian responsibility. To agree with what God says. And God does not leave us questioning what He thinks. Because again, when you get to James, He says, if you lack wisdom, ask Me. If you really don't know what pleases God, ask Him and search His Word and He will show you. And it is up to us to align our lives with what He says if we call ourselves a Christ follower. Look at verse 6. For by wise guidance you can wage your war. How do people of wisdom wage war? By wisdom. There is no doubt that there is a battle raging in our country and throughout all of the nations of the world for the souls of men. And church, that battle has been raging for centuries. It's not new. But as we get closer and closer and closer to the return of Christ, that war gets more pronounced. And Proverbs doesn't say, don't wage your war. It does tell you to be guided by wisdom. What many people are being guided by right now is their feelings. Their emotions. And God has given us feelings and He's given us emotions He doesn't tell us to not get angry, frustrated, sad. But He tells us that those things should not master us. We are to control the feelings He's given us. We are not to let those feelings control us. We are not to let them guide our thinking or what we say or what we do. He tells us don't sin out of our anger. God will guide us in His wisdom if we will listen. And by His wisdom, we will battle. If we're Christians, we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But in God's wisdom, we are to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven in the midst of the kingdom of the earth until He calls us home or Christ returns. And we are to wage our battles in this life with the wisdom of God. And how kind is God to place agape in the book of wisdom when we need it? If you think we're in a battle right now, if that's how you see your life and the culture around you, for 14 weeks He has had you in a book 
telling you the value of wisdom and to seek it and search it so you would know what to do. And then he says to take that wisdom and let that be how you battle. Verses 11 and 12. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we didn't know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? In part, this is the same call we have seen throughout Proverbs, if you've been reading it. That we are to help those who are weak, and we are to help those who are endangered. That's what pleases God. And the issues that we're talking about and the issues in our culture are not always as simple as they seem. But I will stand where I've always stand and say that the core of the issue that the Supreme Court ruled on on Friday is that babies are some of the most weak and helpless people among us. Friday I got to take my kids to see their favorite YouTubers do a show downtown. And my my 10-year-old son was so excited about it all day long. It was all he could talk about. And Friday night I got to sit next to him and I got to watch his eyes light up seeing these guys that he loves. And that is one of a thousand experiences that I've had with my son over the past eight years. that I would have missed out on if not for an abortion law. He was conceived to young parents, maybe teenagers. And they initially planned to raise him together. But weeks in, the dad decided to split. He wasn't into the responsibility or whatever, and and he left. And so the mom, the young mom, decided to terminate her pregnancy. And I don't know why she chose that. And I will tell you, it's very, very easy to assume. It's real easy to judge that. But the reality is she might have been very scared. She might have felt very helpless. She might not have known what she was going to do. And so she made the decision to terminate her pregnancy. But the country that she was living in prohibited her from doing that beyond 12 weeks. And so she couldn't have that abortion. And so his life was spared. But I want to tell you something. His rescue from death was not simply about a law. It was because God laid on the hearts of people on the other side of the world to engage in the act of justice of adoption. And to go to Him and bring Him into their home. I've said before, I will say to you again, I think any time the laws of man move toward the laws of God, we should celebrate that. But we should not fool ourselves into thinking that is all there is to justice. It is not just about a law. There are going to be more moms who are going to need people to come alongside them and help them in their fear. There are going to be more moms who are not going to know what to do. And they are not going to be helped by our assumptions. 
They are not going to be helped by our anger. They are not going to be helped by our criticism. They're not going to be helped by us shouting into the wind what we're so mad about. I'm not saying we don't have a right to be angry. I just covered that. But James says the anger of man will not bring about what God says is right. Those moms and those kids... are going to be helped by loving hands who give them homes. Temporary homes and permanent homes. Not everyone is called to adopt. Not everyone's called to foster. But everyone is called to wrestle with what to do in issues of justice. And how we help the weak among us. And Proverbs tells us to be very careful that we don't excuse ourselves from that mission. That we don't say, well, I didn't, I didn't know. And Proverbs says, God really knows your heart. He perceives what's really happening. I am thankful for a church, by the way, for leaders who have set aside a significant amount of money into an adoption fund and a church that has approved that every year for the last two years in our budget that we have money that is not touched for any reason except for the day that a family at Agape rises up and says, I am called to adopt. And we are ready to fund that as much as we can when it happens. And I've not given up on that because we've had families that have done that here before who have fostered and adopted, and I believe there will be more. And what happens when... That money is spent. We'll see what God says, but we may just replenish it and do it again. Many of us want to do something in everything that we see around us. And right now is a great time to pray and ponder what we should do. Let's end in verse 17 and 18. Proverbs 24. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased. And turn his anger away from him. I don't think Proverbs means you shouldn't be glad when the laws of man turn toward the laws of God. I just said I think you can rejoice in that as a Christian. I do think it means it matters how we think about others and how we conduct ourselves toward them. Especially people outside the church. Proverbs has taught us that you can oppose evil wisely without acting in folly. You can oppose that which is wrong without acting in foolishness. You go back to verse 11 again. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. That is not just the weak and needy. That is people who don't know Christ. Those stumbling to the slaughter are those who are under the wrath of God because they don't know Jesus. Because they are lost in their foolishness. And Ezekiel 33 says, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He takes pleasure when the wicked turn from their sin and live. And every Christian needs to consider whether they have the heart of God toward the lost. Do we take pleasure when we see those that we consider to be our ideological enemies stumbling and falling? Or do we take pleasure in hoping that people will turn to Christ and be saved? Church, we're the light of the world. And Jesus says, the light of the world shines their light before men that they might glorify God. And Jesus said, the way we shine our light before men is good works. 
Let your good deeds shine before men that they might come to glorify your Father who's in heaven. Celebrate righteousness. Celebrate justice. Thank God for them. And don't gloat over your ideological enemies because God opposes that. The world without Christ is under God's judgment. Let that be enough for us. And do everything we can to shine our light to a world that is watching that they might join us in the kingdom of God and the wisdom of His ways. That is what God desires. Love those people stumbling to a Christless eternity by showing them Jesus and telling them about Jesus. The only one who can save them from their foolishness. This is the chapter God had us in last week. And you may not agree with every way I preached, and that's okay. Listen, we are not united in this church by all of our worldviews. We are united by love and a commitment to Jesus Christ. And Jesus is enough when we center everything on Him. He is enough to bring us to like-mindedness. If we try to make it about anything else, we will miss the mark. It's about Christ. It's about His worship. It's about loving Him and honoring Him and showing Him and learning from each other how we do that. And so we can talk and discuss and go back and forth and we can do it in a loving and good and right way because what binds us together is Jesus. It's not in my notes. Probably don't even know if I should say this. But I'll draw the line in the sand and say it. I'm not interested in being a right-leaning church. I'm not interested in being a left-leaning church. I am interested in being a Jesus-centric church. That's what I care about. That's what I care about. So I want to call our worship team back up. And I want to ask you this morning, as they come back up, we're going to pray and respond. And I want you to listen. I don't want you to respond to what David McConnell has said. I'm asking you if you will respond to God and if you will respond to His Word. Will you please respond to what He has said? First and foremost, do you know Christ? Have you had that time in your life that you have come to know Jesus and your life, it is all about Him? And if not, I pray today would be the day that you would repent and be baptized. Repent, turn from your sins. You may not know what all does it mean to walk as a Christian. You can ask somebody in here that's been walking with Christ for 50 years, and they'll tell you they still don't know all that it means to walk with Jesus. What it means initially is you are turning from a Christless life and you are asking Him to walk with you, to save you from your sins and give you life. If you've never done that, if you've never had that time, doesn't matter to me if you've been in church your whole life, if you've never had that moment, where you've submitted yourself to Jesus. Today can be that day, and I would ask you to do that in prayer. But before you leave here this morning, would you be willing to talk to somebody? Come talk to me, come talk to Nick. 
and just say, I just want to talk about my relationship with Christ because I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. And we would love to have that conversation with you. If you already know Jesus, then what I've been saying week after week is take the next obedient step. What is that? Whatever He's calling you to. Maybe today, it's about coming before Him and laying our intentions and our plans and our ideologies at His feet and saying, here's what I plan, here's what I think, but you are sovereign. And I'm asking you, will you oversee and lead and guide me in all of my plan making? Would you ask Him to help you to trust Him? Would you let His providence have a calming effect on your heart? You are not a product of what you have done. Your life is not going to be decided by what someone else has done to you about the circumstances you faced. God is sovereign. And He will fulfill His purposes for you if you will commit your life to Him. Maybe today is the day to pray for justice and to pray for your country and to pray for your community. Maybe it's a day to pray for the lost. Maybe what is on your heart is that wrestling you've had for a very long time about what you should do and your family should do in terms of taking care of orphans. And maybe today is a day to pray about that. We have some prayer partners that are going to be to my left. They are here to pray for you about any of those things or anything else I didn't mention. In this church, we believe in praying about everything. If you need a physical healing, if you need God to do something in your body, please come and pray and ask people to pray about that for you. Whatever you need prayer for, we want to pray with you. Or you can come up front and pray, or you can pray where you are. Father, we ask this morning that You would speak and we would hear. God, I am keenly aware of all of the emotions of this life and the culture we live in. And God, there is no one in this room that's immune from those emotions. And God, in my flesh, I was... I trembled at preaching today. God, my one desire is to please You. And I pray that the hearts of the people of this church would be the same. That they want to please You. And they want to line their lives up with what You say. And God, I know from experience, sometimes that is a tough, tough battle. It is hard to submit ourselves to You. But I am asking this morning that You would help us to do that. Whatever You're talking to us about, whatever we're dealing with, whatever we're wrestling with, God, would You please put Your hand on us and calm our hearts and help us. Show us the way we should go. For to You, we lift up our souls. Let that be the cry of our heart today, God. God, please let no one stumble over my humanity over my delivery or over my words. But God, if we need to stumble over Your Word, let us do it. But God, catch us as we fall and lift us up that we will find ourselves in Your presence being embraced by You with our lives being molded and shaped into the life of Christ. You know every person in this room. You know their heart. You know what they need. You know what they're dealing with right now. God, would You please go and meet them where they are and draw them into Your presence. Please, God, don't leave us alone. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.